Hello, you spooky listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Morbid Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Nicole. I'll be taking you through some of the most heinous, shocking, and morbid crimes, including, of course, the paranormal. Listener discretion is advised. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at morbid.curiosity.tcpodcast where you can find photos related to our cases, including crime scene photos on occasion, of course, with the exception of postmortem photos. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. Hey, hey, hope everybody had a good week and past weekend. Welcome back for another episode of Morbid Curiosity. I am your host, Nicole, as always. Hope you've been doing well. I'm so excited to do this episode for you today. So I just want to do a shout out to Amanda Brown from Scotland, UK. Girl, you put me on some paranormal stuff and we are here for it. So today, not only did I get permission to share Amanda's personal paranormal story that she wrote to me in an email, but we have also been inspired to write up an episode of A Possession. So today we're going to be doing The Possession of Annalise McHale. Thanks, Amanda. Some lovely sources that we want to thank today would be all that's interesting. Goodman, Felicitas, D, 1981. The Exorcism of Annalise McHale, Oregon Resource Publications. Uh, the Devil in the Details, Seized by the Spirit, Temporal Lobe, Epilepsy, and the Exorcism of Annalise McHale. J.D. Sword, July 30th, 2021. And of course, Wikipedia. get on into Amanda Brown's paranormal story that she sent me. Um, again, thank you as that's the first story that I have been shared personally. I am so excited to read this to you guys. Um, me, myself, and I have also experienced paranormal activity since I was young and until this day. Um, I'm just kind of a magnet for it and, you know, see things, hear things, smell things. It's a whole thing. Now, it's not as often as when I was a kid, um, but it's, you know, it's still a big part of my life. And I've helped people with their, you know, paranormal activity and all kinds of stuff. So, thank you for sharing your story. Um, she did reach out to me on Instagram. She emailed me her story after she asked me if she could. And I said, of course, please send it to me. So, we're going to get on into her story, and then we will get into the exorcism of Annalise McHale. So, Amanda sent me this. I have always had issues with the paranormal from a young age. My parents told me when I was a baby, and until the age of five, I was constantly having conversations with an old woman who used to visit my bedroom. No one else could see her, but I could. 
Years later, when looking through a photo album, I noticed this woman. It was my mom's gran who died when she was 15. When I was 10, my papa passed in 1998. That's when I started to notice the paranormal and spirits. I started hearing my papa shouting at me when I was traveling to work and back. I held it in thinking I was just grieving and that it was wishful thinking. Then the man in the black suit appeared in 2001 when I was 12. I had no idea who he was, but he was terrifying. That's when the attack started. I don't know how to put it, but although I was asleep, everything seemed so dreadfully real. This is where the beginning of the trouble started. It started in my dreams. I would get woken up each night in severe sweats and have scratches down my back and thighs. My parents took me to a doctor who said I had reoccurring night terrors, but it became so bad I was terrified to even go to sleep. I would do everything I could to just stay awake. Eventually, he started appearing to me when I was awake. I could be walking down the street or just sitting watching TV. It didn't matter where I was, but he was always around. Even when I couldn't see him, I could feel him close to me. I became terrified to leave the house, terrified of everything as I couldn't escape him. I started to become withdrawn from my family, my friends, eventually hid away in my bedroom. After three long years of feeling like I was crazy and that there was something wrong with me, it came to a head when during one of the attacks and I grabbed a knife to fight back. I was so fed up with being afraid. Then suddenly, it wasn't him that I was fighting. It was my dad trying to wrestle the knife away from me. I had lost control. I couldn't tell what was real and what wasn't. By then, the depression got so bad that I took an overdose and killed myself. I was clinically dead for two minutes, but thankfully the doctors managed to get me back, and after that, I never saw him again. My mom told me the night before that I had clinically died, the Catholic priest gave me my last rites and touched my head with his crucifix. I don't know if that is normal in those circumstances. Now, I started feeling strong again and was thankfully spirit-free until 2006. At the time, I was not long married and had a small baby. We were walking down a forest path, much later than normal. It's, it was a little dark. Normally, we wouldn't go that way since it was dark, but our daughter was hungry, so it was just a faster route home. We were halfway down the path when I could feel the cold, and it was mid-August, so it wasn't, you know, like cold or freezing outside. It, it should be normal temp, right? Now, when we stopped walking, it was like we froze. Neither one of us could move. Our legs wouldn't work. We just were standing there. It lasted moments, but felt like hours before we heard a woman screaming. Now, I knew this wasn't a human spirit. I could instantly feel the evil, and it was enveloping us really quick. And as we froze, as quick as we froze, we unfroze and ran the rest of the way home. We thought that was the end. We thought we were safe, but it wasn't. We weren't. If anything, this was the beginning of a long fight. The house was constantly freezing, ice would develop inside the windows, the smell, the flies started showing up. No matter how much I cleaned, how much I scrubbed, I couldn't get rid of the smell. The dog would growl and bark and occasionally attack things that weren't even there, at least nothing that we could see. My ex-husband's aunt was a medium, and she came to visit, but she was instantly out of sorts. We were chatting about what was going on in the house when she mentioned she could perform a cleansing. It got worse. The wardrobe door started rattling and slamming. His aunt was really afraid as she turned to leave the heavy bedroom door suddenly fell off its hinges. But it wasn't a fall. It really looked like it was ripped from the hinges and thrown by something strong. And the atmosphere in the house became so heavy. His aunt left and never came back to the house. A few nights later, I knew it was stupid and I didn't take part. I was so angry that they had started this, but we had some friends staying over and they made a spirit board using paper, a glass, and a candle. That's when things really started getting bad. I called my friend Jane to protect her privacy. She asked that it was there and what I wanted. The reply was in agonizing it wanted to kill us. Whew, that's a lot. Then Jane started screaming. At first I thought, yeah, whatever, she said that my face changed and it wasn't me. She said my face looked like it started melting and changing into an old hag with burning eyes and my grin was beyond frightening. 
I begged her to tell me what was going on, but all she could hear was shrieks and screaming. Then the radio went static, curtain pole and blinds were ripped from the window, and then the board started giving dates and telling them things that hadn't happened yet. I won't go into detail, but they all happened, ending with my friend's brother being sent to prison for murder. I have chills, Amanda, I must say. Um, my, oof, girl, I don't know how in the world you went through all this, but I tell you one thing, my story is crazy as well, but yours sounds like something they would make a movie out of, I must say. So, that's that's crazy. I'm glad you're still here with us, by the way, earlier in the story that, that got me. But, let's continue. They had let something in or gave whatever was already there more power. I was like, yeah, thanks, you know, when they ran out the door and didn't come back to the flat. Um, I, re- I tried reaching out for help, and it was now affecting my daughter and invited some paranormal investigators to come help. I could feel the thing breathing down my neck and laughing as the woman ran around the flat and then said, oh, nothing was there. I begged them not to go, but they went anyway. It was a waste of time and it got worse. A few nights later, I had another friend visiting whilst I was sitting at the laptop trying to find help online when my daughter, who was now four, started screaming in fear from her bedroom. I tried to go to her when the dining room table literally ran me against the wall and I couldn't get free. Eventually I did and my daughter ran into me and my friend screaming and crying and I tried to calm her down to find out what happened. Now this is what I found weird. She started pointing to my friend who was in the same room as me all that night. She told me that Sophie, I'm assuming um, that's going to be also a code name. So let's just call that friend Sophie. That Sophie put her pillow over her face and wouldn't stop. She managed to get free and ran into the living room. Thank God. I had reached my breaking point. It had attacked me, but now it was going after my daughter. I moved houses. I couldn't stay there after that. Before moving to my new property without my husband knowing, I went to the local chapel and asked for some holy water and for a priest to say a prayer for me. I went before we moved in alone and went to all the entrances of the house, put up a sign of the cross with the holy water and prayed. Probably the hardest I have ever prayed in my life since I'm not that religious. But I needed help, and I eventually came to the decision that it couldn't hurt to try. After that, life was calm. No bad energy, nothing bad happened. We still had occasional things like things moving around, but honestly, I could live with that. I still feel and sense spirits and avoid places of negative energy. When I am not feeling at my strongest, but things have never been like that since we moved. Sorry about the long email. Excuse me. I know this sounds stupid and made up, but I am now superstitious and swear on my parents' grave that every word is true. Your podcast fan, Amanda Brown. Yeah, girl, that is absolutely crazy. Um, And I saved it because I wanted to have a genuine reaction with you guys. Like, she sent it to me and I was like, you know what, I'm going to trust her. And this blew my mind. That's insane. You know, it's always serious whenever a medium, like as myself, uh, has such a strong reaction that you got to leave the place. Um, So that's definitely terrifying. I'm so sorry you went through all that. Um, It definitely does sound like it was probably close to a possession case um, for you because, you know, you have different periods you have different stages of possession some people are like oh it's just a haunting well here's the thing is it starts out as that it starts out always as the little things moving around you seeing things and then it starts getting you depressed like you experience it starts getting you depressed and like isolating you and like it's almost like a very very bad abusive relationship right you come in stages at first, it's like, oh, haha, maybe just a bad word or two. And then it's like, you know, getting you mentally messed up. And then it's like depression. And then, you know, you may or may not try to harm yourself. And it's a whole thing. And that's terrifying. And I'm so sorry that you went through that. Um, that does sound like a story straight out of a movie script. I'll tell you what. Um, unfortunately, you know, paranormal investigators, that part of the section... Here's the thing is, me, myself, and I, okay, I am gifted with sight 
and everything else, you know, a medium. Um, now, I haven't really helped anyone in a very long time, but I would say I have a very, very, very strong relationship with God. And I am a very religious person. Now, I don't go to Sundays, you know, our church on Sundays. I, I'm not, I'm not dedicated to church. I am dedicated to God. And when my paranormal experiences started happening when I was young, um, as far as seeing things, feeling things, I was attacked, you know, it was a constant, constant threat on my spirit, right? So eventually, you know, at first I was kind of like, ah, you know, what can God do for me? You know, whatever, whatever. And kind of like you, you know, once you start getting that religious shield um, with God, like, that stuff kind of starts dying down and you become less afraid because at first it's terrifying. You know, whether it's to your level of paranormal or mine, it's just terrifying. You're a child. You don't know what is going on. Um, so, unfortunately, you know, a lot of people aren't with the right um, level of relationship with God for that to actually help them. Um, and I'm no... In no way trying to push religious on religion on people, um, but me personally, I literally broke down and was like, "Okay, I can't handle this anymore. Please, please, please help me." You know, it took me breaking down. Um, ever since then, I have been fine. Um, I've had one incident recently, maybe like two years ago or so. Um, I was working around someone who admitted to me that they invited a demon to stay in their house on purpose. And I was like, you're a fool. Um, anyway, so I was talking to this guy. I'm not like talking like that, but he was a coworker. I was, I was talking to him one night on night shift, right? And all of a sudden, he just changed. Like, it was like a whole nother person. It was almost like creepy. I had chills and my spirit was like, mm, this isn't right. This isn't, this isn't the co-worker. This is something else. So I started talking about religious stuff to test that theory, right? And he started getting pissed. Like, I don't know what it was. I do, but I don't know at that time. I didn't know what it was. I was like, mm, this isn't right. So I came home later, right? And now, mind you, I haven't had anything infest my house since I was young. But I was laying there in bed with my fiancé. And the way our apartment was set up at the time, it was a one bed, one bath, right? So all the doors pointed out into the living room. We always slept with the door open. We had some cats running around, so we wanted them to have some freedom. Um, I was laying there, and we were talking, and, like, I heard something go, I don't, know, I don't know if I can whistle right now. It was like, like that. Like, hello, pay attention to me out in the hallway. And I looked at my fiance. I said, did you hear that? And he was like, hear what? I was like, you didn't hear that whistle just now. I was like, it was like a come Heather whistle. Like, hello, look at me, pay attention to me, I'm here. And he was like, um, no, you're crazy. And I was like, no, I'm not. Thank you, though. Now, mind you, my fiance um, is not religious by no means whatsoever. I believe his parents, um, I think they're Buddhists. I could be wrong. They're from Korea. Um, but anywho, so yeah, I heard that whistle and I was like, uh, hell no. <laughs> so me, after all my experience, I was like, okay, you, you want to get acknowledged? Let me acknowledge you, right? I grabbed, this is me, the whole holy water, the olive oil on the doors. Um, I'll be honest with you, that never worked for me ever, ever out of the history of me seeing things never works. Um, I like to use white sage. I smudged my house from time to time. And I tell you what, I was, I prayed, I smudged the entire house, and the atmosphere was just so light after. Never heard that again. Never heard the whistle, never heard anything, never saw anything. Because in that apartment, for some reason, you know, places can hold energy. So if you move into a home or something bad happened, or there was a lot of arguments or domestic violence, like, that stuff holds on to a place. So I have no idea what the apartment had before me. Don't know what it had after me. All I know is in that moment, I had something trying to get my attention and I gave it God's attention. <laughs> so I got that thing out really quick. 
I smudged the entire house. It was gone. Never had an issue again. Um, same thing with the new house. Um, this place never had anyone live in it. So it is what you make it, right? Uh, nothing followed me. You know, I prayed. I smudged. I did everything. Just in case. Apartment to apartment. I always did it. Now, my last apartment, I started seeing things again. But I was like, you know, I would look at it and be like, I see you and you're not welcome here. You need to leave. Like, I, I'm very stern. Very, very, very stern with them. Anywho, um, I just wanted to share that little snippet of my paranormal as well. Yours is like 10 times insane than mine. And like I said, I'm glad you're still here, girl. Because, you know, that... People always like to be skeptic until shit happens to them. And they're like, oh, so this is what that girl was talking about. You know, that oppression is real. That the, the weird thoughts are real. Everything is real, I'm telling you. But I'm glad you're still here and I'm glad you're not having more issues. If you are, feel free to reach out. Um, I mean, like I said, I've helped people with past hauntings and stuff like that. Um... You know, I'm obviously not in the UK, but, I mean, I'll help you from what I can. Um, also, I know this is going to sound pre pretty dumb because you said the paranormal investigators kind of made it worse. But, you know, um, I don't know whether if you believe in this show or not, but uh, Ghost Adventures, like Zach Bagans and his team, they were doing the house calls there for a hot minute where they were flying places and, like, investigating and, like, getting people help. So... If you are still having issues, that may be an outlet that you may want to try. Uh, see if you can, you know, get with them or whatever. Now, that'd probably be on TV, but um, it would be a good outlet, if anything. So, alright guys, so let's get on into the exorcism of Annalise McKell and see, see what you guys think about today's episode. Annalise Miguel was born September 21, 1952, in Liebelfling, Bavaria, Germany. She grew up in a Catholic church with three sisters and her parents, Joseph and Anna. The family were religious, and they did attend Mass twice a week, which, if you didn't know, it is made up of two principal parts, the Litigu of the Word and the Litigu of the Atkarist. It begins with the introductory rites and ends with the concluding rites. guys we're gonna take a short momentary break if you haven't already go use the bathroom get you a drink get you some snacks and then when you come back we gonna finish this episode Now, as far as medical things that Annalise had to go through, it was kind of severe. Um, I've had some friends that have been through the same thing, and it's very traumatic. So, let's get into her medical issues. Now, it all began in 1968, around the time of her 16th birthday. She had the first of several seizures. She lost consciousness during school and was found by her classmate to be in a trance-like state. Later that night, she woke, claiming she felt as if something was pressing down on her. She couldn't move, breathe, or speak, and actually lost control of her bladder. Now, although the experience frightened her a lot, when it didn't happen again, she was just kind of like, oh, maybe it's just a one-time thing, you know, out of sight, out of mind. If it doesn't happen often, you just kind of were like, eh, you know, one-time thing, right? Until... August 24th, 1969, she suffered another seizure. Now, when examined by neurologist Dr. Singfrid Luthi, her EEG showed, quote, a normal psychological alpha-type brain activity. That was in the Goodman 1981. Dr. Luthi later explained to investigators, quote, I jumped from the description I was given that this was probably a case of cerebral seizures from a nocturnal type with the symptoms of a grand mal epilepsy. Now tonic-clonic seizures, formerly known as grand mal seizures, comprise two stages, a tonic phase and a clonic phase. Excuse me. 
According to John Hopkins Medicine, seizures may begin with a simple or complex partial seizure known as aura, during which a person may experience sensations such as unusual smells, vertigo, nausea, or anxiety. During the tonic phase, a person may lose consciousness and experience bodily and respiratory paralysis as the muscles involuntarily contract. Finally, during the clonic phase, the person's face, arms, legs spasm and jerk uncontrollably and rapidly. When the body relaxes, the bladder may also release. So it's pretty, you know, pretty much what she experienced um, from what they are discovering. Now, of course, what they discovered about her symptoms, it clearly fit the criteria for a tonic-clonic seizure. And there's a good reason to believe, at least on one occasion, she did experience aura. One day, while praying the rosary, she related smelling a sweetness, wafting about her like the fragrance of violence, per Goodman 1981, and a euphoric feeling that lasted until the next day. She was also found by the other girls in a trance-like state with her hands outstretched stiffly, like you had a cramp or something, like when my cat stretches its claws, and her pupils were dilated. I thought they were blue, but now they're all black. That's what her classmate had said. After her third seizure, she began experiencing one of the longest-lasting side effects, which continuously filled her with fratzen, German for grimacing faces. Another EEG showed an irregular alpha pattern with some theta and delta waves, but nothing pathological. By 1973, her friends and family reported her behavior had changed. She was irritable, withdrawn, prone to lashing out with anger. Annalise fell into a deep and prolonged depression, which was so serious she complicated suicide and would later describe as, quote, There is no longer a depression. This is a condition. Excuse me. This is no longer a depression. This is a condition. She claimed someone else is manipulating me and that my will is not my own. She mentioned to her psychiatrist she could no longer feel love sufficiently and that she felt castrated, ice cold, and told her boyfriend, I can't feel any love at all. I am numb, sort of. I can't feel emotions like that. She then stopped associating with her usual group of friends and became drawn to a group of students considered to be religious fanatics. One of her childhood friends noted that, quote, after her illness, Annalise was changed. She was quiet, withdrew from her friends. I also noted that she kept wanting to carry on mostly religious conversations. For her part, Annalise became convinced of her own damnation and began warning others of the end of the world. She believed she had personal visions and communed with Virgin Mary and became particularly drawn to the life of Barbara Wagan, a Catholic mystic and prophetess, who also claimed to experience visions of the Virgin Mary. Both during and between the onset of seizure, experiences of depersonalization and derealization have been associated with complex partial seizures arising from the frontal lobe, other behavioral characteristics unique to the persons with temporal lobe epilepsy include hyper-religiosity, a psychopathological form of extreme re religiosity, a drastically reduced interest in sex, and a tendency to withdraw from human contact in general, all changes exhibited by Annalise. In addition to visual hallucinations, she also claimed to begin to experience hallucinations known as phantosmia. She started smelling a horrid stench not perceived by others, per Goodman 1981. The nature of this malodor changed over time, however, as later it was related. Quote, Annalise, a stench like Frauhein, had never been smelled before, like fecal matter or something burning. Everyone in the bus could smell it, end quote. This would seem to indicate that the stench was actually coming from Annalise herself and not something else. Further evidence in support of this comes from a visit from Father Roth paid to the McHale household. Quote, Her McHale received me and took me immediately to the living room. 
It was filled with a horrible stench of something burning and of dung. That penetrated everything. Herb Nickel expressly called my attention to it and told me that Annalise had been in the room just before. In the other rooms of the Mikkel home and on the outside, I could detect no trace, end quote. The horrible stench was not, however, present all the time. During the criminal investigation in October of 1976, Father Heigberg recalled his first meeting with Annalise and mentioned nothing of an odor. Father Herman, who met with her about 10 times from 1973 to 1975, stated, quote, from her parents, I heard that on occasion she evidenced disrespect toward sacred objects and there was a stench of dung or something burning in the room where she was. However, these symptoms never occurred in my apartment. End quote. Likewise, none of Annalise's doctors, classmates, teachers ever complained about a foul odor emanating from her, including her boyfriend who was completely unaware of her problem with the odor until she mentioned it. Uh, about how it plagued her in her daily life. Now, based on what Annalise herself revealed to her psychiatrist, we know she was intimate with her boyfriend, so one might expect him to notice if there was something like an odor going on, you know? And he just didn't. Now, the odor was only there when she was experiencing one of her attacks by demonic possession. During a pilgrimage to a shrine in San Domino, Italy in 1973, her behavior grew more bizarre and resembled the classic symptoms of demonic possession the Catholic Church looks for. Now, she began exhibiting an inversion to sacred objects. Quote, she was unable to enter the shrine. She said that the soil burned like fire and she simply could not stand it. She had to avert her glance from a picture of Christ that was in the chapel of the house she also noted that she could no longer look at medals or pictures of saints. They sparkled so immensely that she could not stand it. Pergum in 1981. Annalise would later begin refusing food, claiming the demons would not let her eat. She did, however, begin consuming spiders, flies, and coal from the fireplace, even drank her own urine off the floor. Also, per an article from All Things Interesting, she ripped her clothes off her body, compulsively performed up to 400 squats a day, crawled under a table, and barked like a dog for two days. Um, in addition to eating spiders and um, coal and all that, like flies and stuff, she also reportedly bit a head off of a dead bird. Now, she would only sleep one to two hours a night, spending all night running through the house or in prayer, screaming to Jesus Christ for mercy. Despite her intense praying, she would destroy rosaries or religious pictures hanging on the wall. She would also kneel on the ground an estimated 400 to 600 times a day, accounts vary, to the point that both her knees were swollen. As her condition worsened, several priests, including Father Alt, at the behest of her family, became involved in her case. Although they were fully aware of her history, medical history, they grew convinced she was possessed and not mentally ill or anything like that. Finally, the priests were granted permission in September 1975 by Bishop Joseph Stegall um, after careful consideration and good information, per given 1981, to perform the rite of major exorcism according to the ritual Romanium. Bishop Stangle, and excuse me because I said um, Joseph Stangle a minute ago, so sorry about that mispronunciation. Um, I keep forgetting it's German, so. Uh, Stangle granted his permission based entirely on faith in the written correspondence of Father Alt. He never asked for any documentation of Annalise's mental health history or medical history. Keep that in mind or any second opinion from either her psychiatrist or neurologist. It wouldn't be until 1999 that the rite of exorcism would be revised and, quote, forbid exorcisms on people who are believed to have been subjected to evil spells, curses, and or mentally ill. A thorough medical examination is essential, per Burton, 2017. During her exorcisms, the demons identified themselves as Cain, Judas, Nero, Hitler, as well as several others, including Satan himself.
During her exorcisms, the demons identified themselves as Cain, Judas, Nero, and Hitler, as well as several others. No examples of speaking in tongues were present. Judas didn't speak in Aramaic. Nero answered in Latin. But Annalise was familiar with that language, language through church and school, and Hitler naturally spoke her native tongue, German. Now, just some background information on the demons that were... I'm going to say supposedly possessing because we really don't know. We weren't there. Um, this could just be mental illness or this could actually be a possession. Whether one or the other, we will never know. Now, um, the first one, Cain. Um, I don't know if anybody is religious or, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, we're just going to go over it. Cain was known as the first murderer and catalyst behind the cycle of fratricide. Known by his titles, Father of Murderer. The Wanderer, the first immortal, and the slayer of Ken, was the brother of Abel, as well as revealed to being the son of Satan and Eve. Judas was one of the twelve disciples of Jesus, known to have betrayed him, was also revealed to be the first known, quote, vampire, and one that developed the aversion towards silver, sunlight, and holy crosses. Nero was the fifth Roman emperor, best known for political murders, persecution of Christians, and passion for music. Nero's reign was so malevolent that Christians believed him to return as the Antichrist for bringing destruction. Excuse me. Um, he's not really in the Bible, so I can't really say for sure on that one if he's a demon or not. That's just what, what they said. So, uh, Hitler, also not in the Bible, um, we all know Hitler. He was a Nazi leader. He killed over 16... 0.315 million Jews um, and Lucifer which everyone knows you know call him Satan, Lucifer Morningstar that kind of stuff he was like God's best angel um, now his real name is Hillel I think is how you say it H-E-L-E-L -E -L. he was the fallen archangel of pride, sin, free will and the stars he was the one that rebelled against God in the past and was expelled from paradise. So, that's just a little tidbit information on those. Okay, so, if you go to YouTube and you look up Annalise McHale, you'll see a video. Um, I think it's called Weird World or Weird People. I think that's who it's by. They have the entire, like, hour, two-hour audio of the exorcism posted on their YouTube channel. So, if you go there, you can literally listen to her being exorcised. So, it's not a video as far as, like, them videoing her. Like I said, it's just the audio. But in that audio, uh, if you speak German, of course, it's in German, so keep that in mind. It's not in English. Um... So, if you speak German or you can understand German, you can literally hear the demons arguing with each other. Uh, Hitler says, people are stupid as pigs. They think it's all over after death. It goes on. Judas was saying to Hitler, um, he was nothing but a big mouth who had no real say in hell. Throughout the sessions, though, Annalise would frequently talk about dying to atone for the wayward youth of the day and the apostasy priest of modern church per all things interesting article now as a test father Renz questioned her um in chinese now i don't really know how that's a test because technically none of the demons are chinese so not really sure how that's a test but he done that to which the response was if you want to ask something ask it in german per good goodman 1981 although annalise or the demon quickly followed with, but I did understand that. Now, whether they did or not, I don't know. It's also curious to note that among the many threats and profanities, growling and screaming, Annalise, or rather the demons, seemed more than normal interested in modern changes in the Catholic Church. Um, since they were undergoing, you know, change since um, the Second Vatican Council, which ended in 1965, now, changes Annalise and her fiercely conservative circle of friends opposed. For example, these are some quotes that they had said. So, quote, In church, all few pray because the priest thinks it's unfashionable. The communion rails must go back in. Priests must be 
excuse me, recognizable as priests, they also may not get married. Holy water should come back in homes, and the crucifix should return to its place of honor in homes, per Goodman 1981. Now, you may be thinking, um, why the heck would a demon really worry about the church? Uh, that's also a question people asked back then, like, because it's detrimental to their own interests anyway, so, like... Why are they worrying about the church? Why was she so pent up about the church? They don't really know. Now, another test that he proposed to her was five bottles of water. Some taps, some holy water. They were not marked or anything. Um, now, as far as control conditions of this, like, how do we know she for sure wasn't seeing what was what, blah, 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 that kind of thing. We don't. We don't know. All we know is that she only responded to the bottles of holy water and the unmarked bottles and the tap water she did not respond to. Now, once the exorcism started, Annalise refused further medical treatment. This is also important. She also requested her parents to stop consulting with doctors and to just fully trust in the power of the priest and the exorcism. During the exorcism, she was at times forcibly restrained by her parents and the priests, vice versa, all together, right? The autopsy report later indicated that she had fractured teeth, bruised limbs, in addition to black eyes, and um, kind of like bruises on her face and head, which were also visible in the horrific photographs that were taken during the exorcisms and are publicly available on Google, which we will be posting on Instagram um, since they are not like post-mortem. Uh, there when she was alive, so we'll be posting those. Um, per Wikipedia, on July 1st, 1976, Annalise died in her home. The result was malnutrition and dehydration, resulting from a year in a state of near starvation while the rites of exorcism were going on. Now, mind you, um, she was in her 20s, and she weighed between 66 to 70 pounds when she was found deceased, she had suffered broken knees as well from the continuous kneeling she did 400 to 600 times a day. She was unable to move without assistance and was reported to have uh, Lord have mercy, contracted pneumonia. So, unfortunately, um, it's kind of like neglect, but not neglect, but neglect in a way. Um, her last words were please absolution and mama stay with me i'm afraid per goodman 1981 the next day around 8 a.m is when her mother found her deceased and the autopsy report declared the cause of death to be advanced emaciation due to severe malnutrition and dehydration like i said a minute ago now when asked why medical intervention had not been sought out father alt stated that he never considered the woman dangerously ill and that if he had, he would have immediately called for medical assistance, which I call BS on. Because you see this woman who weighed the appropriate amount or near the appropriate amount. And you're working on her continuously for a year and she drops that much weight. Like, you don't think that's a medical illness or a medical reason to have someone come and check her out or take her to the hospital? I mean, come on. Come on. That's all I gotta say is, come on. Now, by contrast, Father Renz um, said, quote, The exorcism ritual expressively states that the clergymen should not burden themselves with medical matters. B.S., right? In this, Father Renz was correct as the rite of exorcism they were using at that time, the 1614 version, uh, they're not responsible for the physical well-being of the possessed at all, whatsoever. Um, it, you know what? I mean, it also suggested the exorcist should guard against giving or recommending any medicine to the patient, but should leave this care to physicians, per Burton 2017. So, yeah. They ignore it, and it's kind of like the responsibility of whoever's the guardian, I guess technically because the person that's having the exorcism is not mentally correct to make medical you know calls for themselves so that one just kind of falls on the parents to be honest with you 
and the freeze but both anyway so yes so per wikipedia july 1st 1976 is when annalise uh was found deceased by her mother um it was stated that she died of malnutrition and dehydration resulting from almost a year in the state of near starvation while the rites of exorcism were performed on her she weighed between 66 to 70 pounds at the age of 23. she suffered from broken knees from continuous kneeling and was unable to move without assistance and was reported to have pneumonia as well her last words were please absolution mama stay with me i am afraid per goodman 1981 she was found around 8 a.m. and on the cause of death certification, um, it was marked as advanced emaciation due to malnutrition and dehydration. That's how they listed it. Now, um, many of you may be asking why the heck did they not look for medical help? Um, Father Alt stated, mm, we didn't really think she was dangerously ill. And we didn't really, you know, think about it. We were just doing what we were doing. If we thought she was medically ill or dangerously ill, we would have called for assistance. But they didn't. So, you know, <laughs> they kind of missed out on that opportunity to help her because she still had a long life to live. Um, also, um, the right that they were using back in that time was from 1614 and i'm gonna let google tell you what it the name of it is because you girl ain't german uh i got it in my blood but i don't speak it so this is what it was called for the right of 1614. now um you know they were using that one of course they've updated it since then since this incident and probably others to you know they have to now care about their well-being um used to the right stated that the exorcist should guard against giving excuse me or recommending any medical medicine to the patient but should leave the care to the physicians like you're not to care about their medical or mental stability or health just do what you got to do and get the right over with kind of thing now, of course, the bishop said, oh, had no idea. I didn't know she was not receiving medical treatment and didn't know her state was so bad. Now, of course, her death was a national sensation in Germany. The parents and the two priests were charged with negligent homicide, which you're about to be pissed because later on... Um, of course, the two priests were found guilty of manslaughter, resulting from negligence. They were sentenced to six months in jail, which they didn't even serve because it was suspended, and they received three years of probation and a fine instead. And the parents, per a German penal law, which is 60 STGB, um, the parents suffered enough, and they didn't need a punishment. Okay? Yeah. Be mad. I was mad, too. Now, um, of course, like, they also had a famed lawyer, um, also from, uh, I think is how you say it, Nuremberg Trials, which his name was Eric, like, Erich Sch Schmidt Liedschner, I think is how you say it. We'll see what Google says. Erich Schmidt Leichner. There we go. Leichner. And the priest, um, the, of course, they had their own defense counsel, which was, of course, paid by the church. So, everybody, you know, was pretty well covered in those senses. Now, the prosecutor said Annalise's death could have, of course, been prevented if she had received any medical help during the time of the rites. Um, they also said, how in the world did you not notice she was dying? Like, obviously, you have a 23-year-old woman weighing 66 pounds who can't move, who can't do anything about her. Yeah. So, like, how do you not know, right? Um, all I know is that the other, like, bit the bishop and the other priests that were involved in getting the right going, they were under investigation, never were charged with anything. 
and um, the person who like brought this to the bishop's attention I'm trying to word it in my head for you guys the person uh, Father Roderick I think is how you say his name uh, mind you this man was 82 year old and he was an expert on um, the the Catholic rite for exorcism and I'm just going to let Google reiterate his last name, okay? Rodrick. Yeah, it's not Rodrick. <laughs> um, yeah, so everybody kind of got charged, but not really. So. Now, the trial was March 30th of 1978. Um, doctors testified. They were like, you know, she was mentally ill. She had epilepsy, excuse me. I don't know why, you know, this was the result of this and why they thought she was possessed. Like, in a nutshell, they were just like, yeah, no, she was mentally ill. Um, also, during the exorcism, Father Alt told Annalise, quote, there is no injection against the devil, Annalise. So, not only, this kind of goes back to, was she kind of like convinced she was possessed by other people? Eh more than likely because you know schizophrenia and like all that kind of stuff now she didn't have that i'm just saying like in general there is medical reasons why some people think that they may be possessed and they're not um i'm not saying that you know possession isn't real because um i have had family members who were priests and performed exorcisms so I'm not saying they're not real by no means. I'm just saying in this case, it really could have been a medical issue that she could have gotten solved. And unfortunately, she was convinced otherwise. So, anywho. Now, um, of course, Schmidt uh, Leichner, I know I'm saying it wrong, but he argued that the exorcism was legal and that the German constitution... Um, protected citizens in the unrestricted exercise of their religious beliefs. They were like, eh, well, I mean, she believed it, and her parents believed it, and they're protected because that's their religious belief. Sorry. Like, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, the defense team also played tapes um, from the exorcism saying, hey, do you hear these demons arguing with each other? This is proof that she's possessed, right? Um, both priests claimed that the demons identified themselves as Lucifer, Cain, Judas, Blial, Legion, Hitler, and Nero, among others. So she had multiple, multiple, multiple demons possessing her, they said. They also stated that she was finally freed of possession once the exorcism reached the end, right before her death. So they were like, ah, you know, we did, we did cleanse her, but unfortunately she just couldn't handle it. She died. Which... Makes me want to slap some people. Now, the bishop said that he was not aware of her alarming health condition, like we said earlier. And he did not testify in court. I don't know whether he refused or not, but he was just like, mm, no. Now, April 1978, her parents and the two priests were convicted of the negligent homicide, but were given suspended prison sentences, excuse me. And they were ordered to share the cost of the legal proceedings. Now, the sentences have been described as stiffer than those requested by the prosecutor who had asked that the priest only be fined and that the parents be found guilty but not punished. By approving the ancient exorcism rite, the church drew public and media attention. And according to author John M. Duffy, the case was a misidentification of mental illness. In a conference several years later, German bishops attracted the claim that she was possessed so later on after her death years later they were like you know what looking back on it she was not possessed and this unfortunately was a misidentification and she was killed um per mental illness and neglect the church reiterated themselves right now after the trial her family asked the authorities for permission to exhume the remains of their daughter because she had been buried in undue hurry in a cheap coffin. So they wanted to bury her rightfully, right? Almost two years after the burial, 
February 25, 1978, her remains were placed in an oak coffin lined with tin. The official reports state that the body bore signs consistent with deterioration of a corpse of that age. The family and the, pri the priest were discouraged from viewing her remains. Father Renz later stated that he had been prevented from entering the mortuary. Her gravesite remains a pilgrimage site. Now, the number of officially sanctioned exorcisms decreased in Germany following the ordeal despite Pope Benedict's um, support for wider use of practice as compared to that of his predecessor, Pope John Paul II, who in 1999 tightened the rules to promote only rare cases for exorcisms. So they were like, we can't just go out willy-nilly. It's only dire situations. Rare cases, right? June 6, 2013. Uh, this is kind of coincidental to me. This is like, mm, kind of gets you going. Because, you know, like, she did have mental illness. But also, it's like, hmm. In 2013, a fire erupted at the house where Annalise had lived. And although the local police determined that it was a case of arson, some locals thought mm, it's related to the exorcism now decades after the trial the famous horror movie the exorcism of emily rose was released in 2005 loosely based on annalise's story other than her inspiration for a horror film annalise, excuse me annalise became an icon for some catholics who felt modern uh, secular interpretations of the bible were distorting the ancient supernatural truth it contains Quote, the surprising thing was that the people connected to um, Annalise were all completely convinced that she had really been possessed. End quote. That was um, Franz Barthel, who reported on the trial for the regional daily paper, The Main Post. Now, another quote was, Buses often from Holland, I think, still come to Annalise's grave, Barthel says. The grave is a gathering point for religious outsiders. They write notes with requests and thanks for her help and leave them on the grave. They pray, sing, and travel on. End quote. Now, while she may be a source of inspiration for some religious people, the story of Annalise is not one of spiritually triumphing over science, but of people who should have known better than allowing a mentally ill woman to die. It's the story of people projecting their own beliefs, hopes, and faith onto a woman's delusional mental illness and the price that was paid for those beliefs, per All Things Interesting article. So, you know, unfortunately, the system failed her. It seemed to me, personally, when reviewing her case, she was trying to receive help for herself, and she was just getting desperate to the fact that she had nothing else to lose besides her life um, that she didn't know she was going to lose, but she had nothing else to lose. The medications and stuff maybe or may not have been working for her. The medical stuff may have not been working for her, and this was her last result. And unfortunately, it was the, the end of her life. Now, her grave, per a news article from the News Press Florida from 1978, the body of Annalise was dug up Saturday from a cemetery in this North Bavarian city, was found to be, quote, normally decayed, a police statement said. Her parents, Joseph and Anna, demanded the body be exhumed after being told by a nun that it is, quote, is resting completely intact in its grave, police said. The view of the parents proved itself untenable. The decay of the girl's body, which had been in the ground a year and a half, was far advanced, the statement said. The nun who reportedly had the vision was not identified. So again, the parents are believing whatever the church says. The nun is a part of the church. And the, she was like, oh, I had a vision. She is, you know, since her possession, she is still intact and like, you know, looking like she did the day she passed kind of thing or whatever. And they went and looked. That's why they supposedly wanted to change her coffin is to get a look at her to make sure that, you know, she wasn't just some big ball of evil on the ground kind of thing. It's crazy. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. And that's why I don't really, man, 
I'll tell you something personal, right? Friend to friend here, okay? Back when I was having paranormal issues, I grew up as um, Baptist, like Christian. And the church was something that could help people, supposedly, right? I'm not saying all churches are like this by no means. But um, the only people from church was my family who were pastors that tried to help me. In all earnest, like, they really tried. Um, it didn't work for me because I still didn't have that religious connection with God. I didn't have that relationship with God yet. So, their efforts were kind of, like, in vain a little bit, um, unbeknownst to them. But the church that I was attending, since I had been attending since I was little before my family got um, into it, was... Um, kind of like a bigger church. It was, you know, not everybody talked to everybody. It was just one of those, you know, kind of hypocrite kind of places, right? I went to the pastor with my mother. I remember this sitting in the office and he pretty much told me that I was crazy and that my mom needed to seek help. Like he refused to help me with being haunted or paranormal activity at the house like refused to come bless it sorry if you guys hear a cat I got a new cat he's a baby um yeah he refused anything to do with um anything to do with me and the paranormal and it was funny because I remember specifically like thinking this man could help me this oh my god like this is great because he he like talked about in church how he had saw angels and had conversation with angels and he saw demons and he saw spirits and blah 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 and then all of a sudden he's like huh yeah we can't help you with that um that sounds crazy and I was like oh. and I never went back to church after that <laughs> never went back to church I was like you know what I'll find God myself and I'll build that relationship myself. I'll do the research myself and kind of go off of that. And like my family who were, who were pastors, I talked to them about it. Um, and yeah, so I eventually got to that point. And like I said, nowadays, um, I can, I still sense things, hear things, see things, but not in my own house. Cause I've already smudged and blessed the house, but some people in my family have come to me for help with their own houses and stuff. Um, and I honestly, I'm completely confident in my relationship with God. And I no longer have any issues. So, like I said, not pushing religious matters on anybody on the podcast. You guys, I consider you all friends. So that's why I'm like open and talking to you about it. But, yeah, so... If you ever have any issues, uh, if your church won't respond, I would suggest not seeking a medium only because a lot of them are like fake. I'll be honest with you. Uh, me personally, I, I do have those gifts, but I don't promote myself. Oh, I'm a medium. Oh my God. Like I'm, I'm connected to them all the time. Let me help you. Like, I don't, I don't do that. It's literally, like, I literally will help friends and family, but I don't promote myself to help other people. Unless you're just, like, dire requesting me to, to help. Um, even then, I can't guarantee you anything. So, even if I was to go to somebody's house, it's, it's not guaranteed that I would feel anything, see anything. Like, the mediums that you see on social media, that's not how it really is. At all. Period. Whatsoever. Like, the gift is not constantly going. It's not a constant open door. It's, it, no. It's not like that. And that irritates me all the time because, like, people always think, like, you know, mediums just have this constant flow of knowledge for spiritual stuff. And that's not it. At least in my personal experience. Now, about the only one that I really believe kind of has something like that would be Chip Coffee. Um, just based off of, like, how I've watched him investigate things and, like, his, like, feelings and reactions kind of almost been like mine. So, um, he would be a good one. Now, of course, technically, mediums aren't supposed to charge for services per, you know, like, just, I don't think that's right. <laughs> that's just me per me. I just don't think that's right. I feel like, you know, there's other ways to make a profit and people's desperate need for help is not a correct way, but, 
no shame to him, no shame to the other mediums. It's just my personal feelings on it. Um, but yes. Anyways, let's stop rambling on. Um, that was today's episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, feel free to send in an email. Like I said, like Miss Amanda, she reached out to me on Instagram, shared her personal story, and suggested a possession case. So that's what we went with today. So shout out Amanda Brown um, from the UK, and thank you for sharing your story. Uh, like I said, I'm glad you're still here and that you were not successful. Um, in your attempt to uh, leave the world. But I am glad things have gotten better for you. As that story was insane. I will say. It was insane. Not insane like I don't believe you. But like just. It gave, I had chills reading that story. <laughs> like. Whew. Yeah. You're a very strong woman. Keep on going. Keep on going. Keep that relationship if you can. Um, like I said. It helped me a lot. And I hope it helps you. And I hope you guys have a good night. Well, guys, that's all for today's episode. Make sure you tune in bi-weekly. We are every other Monday for another riveting case where I will traumatize you more than you probably already are. <laughs> so thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to check out the Instagram at morbid period curiosity period TC podcast for photos related to each case that I cover. Feel free to send me spooky, crazy stories or case suggestions at morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate the podcast on Spotify and Apple Pod or whatever you're listening to us on. Um, I do appreciate all you spooky listeners. Please stay kind, stay spooky, and for the love of God, don't murder anyone. <laughs>